Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Melissa Harris, and GovCIO Media and Research is live at the 2022 RSA Conference here in San Francisco. The conference is packed with all sorts of government agencies and cybersecurity vendors, and there are just as many discussions, topics, and technologies that are bubbling across this space. We are here today, however, to talk about one really important aspect of cybersecurity, and those are SBOMs, otherwise known as Software Bill of Materials. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, has been promoting SBOMs as an important aspect to agencies' and organizations' security strategies. And here with us at RSA is one of the leaders behind SBOM promotion at CISA. That leader, Alan Friedman, is a senior advisor and strategist at CISA. We'll talk about the importance of SBOMs in your security strategy, best practices in SBOM development, and how you can incorporate SBOMs into your organization. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Alan, here at uh, RSA. It's good to be back at the conference in person and to be here with you today. Oh, it is indeed. It's great to be back. So um, CISA is advancing a variety of different practices in cybersecurity across federal agencies and all sorts of different communities. But one area that you're really hands-on with are software bills of materials, or SBOMs. So just to cover our bases for people who may not know, can you go into what SBOMs are and the role they play in an organization's cybersecurity strategy? Sure. And SBOM is kind of like a list of ingredients for software. If you go to the store and you buy a Twinkie, it'll come with a list of ingredients. And it's sort of strange that we expect that level of transparency from a non-biodegradable snack, but we don't expect it for the software that runs our critical infrastructure and that supports our government. So the vision here is to say software should come with its list of dependencies, right? We all know that modern software isn't written by one person in a basement. It's assembled uh, out of a lot of existing parts. And some of those parts can have risk they can be inefficient, they can introduce unneeded cost. And so SBOM is the dependency graph of this piece of software includes this dependency, which in turn includes this dependency and so on. Having that data allows folks who build software to better understand what's in their software. Uh, it allows people to buy software to understand potential risks. And of course, allows those of us who operate software to say, when a new risk emerges, are we affected? Uh, make that response more efficient and cheaper and faster. Great. Um, you sort of just touched on some of the benefits there, but can you explain what the value um, SBOMs bring to an organization's strategy um, and security posture? Mm -hmm. So I think it, it depends on the hat we wear, because this is one of those areas that it doesn't just accrue to one part of the ecosystem. It really follows the entire life cycle. So some of us are worried about, for example, open source risk. Uh, and so tracking your dependencies from open source components allows you to understand uh, what you have. Meanwhile, if you're just standard Jane QC, so knowing what's on your network is key to defending it, right? We all know that Step zero of all defendants is, is sort of the basic know what you have. You can't defend it if you don't know about it. So obviously asset management is that first step. And then moving beyond that, uh, the key is to say not just that I have this software, but this is what's in the software because that's where the risk may be. Now, important to acknowledge that this is a data layer. Turning that data into intelligence, which then 
which we drive action, is a very important piece that we're moving towards. But the vision is to say, let's create this shared layer of transparency. And that way, from there, we can innovate, we can build, we can create tools to handle it. Fantastic. Um, so one of the things that CISA does is provide all sorts of resources for the partners it works with. So what kind of resources does CISA provide for agencies and organizations to develop SBOMs? And can you walk us through what those resources and processes you go through look like? Sure. So uh, we'll draw a distinction between sort of the CISA work helping our, our government colleagues and CISA work helping uh, the uh, broader landscape and the ecosystem. So the recent executive order, 14028, which came out a little over a year ago, uh, is set the stage to say everything that the U.S. government buys is eventually going to have to have a certain level of software security properties and attestations. And this includes things like testing, like evidence that you actually have a multi-factor in your development environment, a lot of pieces. And one of those pieces, and perhaps it's gotten a little too much attention or overdue, uh, outsized attention, is the idea that all the software has to have an SBOM. And so we are starting, the, the focus really has been on helping our suppliers, and of course there are thousands of government suppliers out there, get them ready for this step. Uh, but now, looking forward, we're beginning this process of saying, how can we help uh, departments and agencies deal with this data? And I'd argue that there is huge value in just creating that information, but we also want to set the stage to make sure that we can use it. And, you know, in the short run, it's just going to be, hey, let's have this data and search through it. In the longer run, we want to help foster automation, and that also involves getting going back to the private sector to sort of think about tooling. So the other piece, uh, and this has taken more of my time, is to sort of help the private sector understand what this means. This isn't something that we can say is just a government process. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, we think this is an area where... Uh, the, the private sector should be leading the way, and then the government can use those tools, those open source models, uh, and build on the experience that industry has found. And so uh, this work started at NTIA, but it has been at CISA since last summer uh, to say, hey, how do we understand this? And so in December, CISA hosted the SBAMA-RAMA, which pulled together uh, 14, uh, sorry, four, four, over 400 people from around the world. We had uh, participants from uh, foreign governments, from companies of all different sectors, everything from classic IT to energy to healthcare, and said, uh, what do we know how to do with SBOM? And what don't we know how to do? What are some of the areas where we as a community still need to refine and advance and scale uh, this work for supply chain transparency? And one of the things that came out of that uh, was uh, four priorities. And CISA just last week announced that we are going to be hosting some listening sessions that may in turn turn into ongoing working groups. That's fantastic, um, especially uh, I love the term Esbamarama. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and I want to go to the open source bit again. Um, since a lot of organizations leverage open source tools and software, how can we develop SBOMs that are inclusive to both open source and proprietary software? So uh, one of the challenges of developing 
sort of uh, the operational understanding and the tools and the shared vision is we all use the same software, right? At the under, uh, almost all software today has at least some open source in it, uh, but of course there's a lot of uh, proprietary software as well. So we need a shared vision around that. Um, there are certain parts of the open source community that are easier, um, right? The source is there. So for example, if I know my SBOM tells me that, uh, for example, this uh, this open source component is in a 5G, say it's 5G library, well then we're a 5G application, then we can watch that and say, hey, is there some, is, is there risk, are there new people that are maybe putting in a backdoor? Well, you can monitor that once you know it's in your software. So that's some of the advantage of open source, but on the other hand, um, as we've learned around uh, sort of December's log for j crisis, uh, the models of accountability that we take for granted in commercial software, which is there's a flaw, it's your fault, you fix it, um, don't exist or are much more complex in open source. Uh, the White House hosted an open source security summit in January, uh, and there was a follow-up in May uh, that was hosted by the Open Source the Open Source Security Foundation, OpenSSF. Uh, and so that's going to be a great example moving forward of whole of government collaborating with the diverse industry to sort of say, how do we move forward? And one of the things I'll say is that the OpenSSF developed a 10-point uh, mobilization plan to sort of think through all of the different parts of open source risk. Uh, and one of those goals is just called SBOM Everywhere. Uh, and the vision is to say, how do we uh, create some automatic models to make it easier and cheaper for an open source project to have an SBOM? Uh, and, you know, ultimately I'd love to see things like uh, GitHub and GitLab just automatically create their dependency graph as you build your software. So as organizations are also considering application security, how can SBOMs enable transparency from that standpoint too? Um, so I think a lot of it is going to depend on uh, what types of tools that organizations do. And this is one of those fun areas where newer and smaller projects actually have an advantage over more experienced software uh, and, and, and legacy software projects. Um, so, for example, if you're using a modern build process uh, and modern tools, S-bombs are actually pretty easy to generate, right? This can happen just to just fall straight out of your Jenkins. Um, there is a command in Docker called S-bomb. You know what it does? It creates an S-bomb of your Docker container. Uh, so, right, we have a lot of those tools. So that's one of the things that we can start to do today. Um, another thing that is also pretty straightforward is if you're using software from an upstream supplier in your project, uh, especially if it's proprietary, Start asking for S-bombs. Uh, this is something that, uh, right, the worst that can happen is they can say no, but ultimately downstream users are going to be asking for this, uh, and there's going to be an expectation that we have them. So I want to go back to one concept around S-bombs that CISA promotes, which is the Vulnerability Exploitability Exchange, or VEX. Can you break down what VEX is and how that fits into developing a strategy for S-bombs? Sure, and I like the way you phrase that. It's part of an S-bomb strategy, but it's not necessarily part of the S-bomb itself. So one of the concerns about S-bomb data is if I list all of the dependencies in my software, 
some of those dependencies uh, are only only part of that library's inheritance. So, for example, let, let's use uh, the old Heartbleed example. Depending on how you measure it, OpenSSL had between 600 and 1,000 different function calls you could make. Uh, two of them called the heartbeat function that allowed an attacker to read randomly from a server memory. So if your product used OpenSSL version old.old, .old, but was only using a different function, well, then the actual affected code may not even be in your product. Uh, right, especially lots of compilers sort of strip out all of the code that's not used, and so, as, uh, in, uh, you know, having your dependency graph, someone's going to read it and say, "Ah, heartbleed, heartbleed, heartbleed," and you would then have to waste time saying, "Well, yeah, I'm using it, but heartbleed doesn't affect my product. None of my customers, none of my users are at risk." A VEX stands for the Vulnerability Exploitability Exchange, is a way of communicating whether or not a vulnerability affects a specific product. So this is going to be important as more and more people start sharing their SBOMs with their customers. Because now you can say that this vulnerability, Heartbleed, right, identified by a vulnerability by the CPE or any other identifier, does not affect this product. Now, what do we mean by not affect? Because that's an important distinction. Exploitability is a very fraught term in lots of cybersecurity conversations. So we use the term affected. And the vision of affected is, does the downstream user have to do literally anything? Uh, and that allows us to sort of sidestep some of the questions around things like configuration management. So for example, if when a product is sold or downloaded, uh, there's instructions to say, hey, you know what? This should always be behind a firewall or behind a DMZ. It should never be plugged directly to the internet. If a vulnerability is announced and it only affects a product that's plugged directly to the internet, you still have to tell your user, hey, you remember when we, you bought this and I told you not to plug it into the internet? You weren't an idiot, were you? Uh, the, so we want to make sure uh, that's still a config check, still something the user has to do. And so we would still consider that product affected by that vulnerability. But what VEX allows is it allows this machine scale and automatable model of helping an organization triage what they need to care about. So let's go back to Log4j. It would have been really helpful if every product security team, which was already doing the work of determining whether or not they were affected by Log4j, if they could just communicate in an automated, machine-readable fashion to all of their customers, this product is not affected, this product is affected, here's the patch. Um, being able to do that in a machine-readable fashion would mean that now we could integrate that data into vulnerability management, asset management, and the whole security process. So that's where we want to get. Um, and one of the interesting things is VEX is, is starting to become increasingly popular, sometimes more popular than SBOM, uh, because it's one thing to say, give me the list of ingredients. But it's another thing to say, you know what I really care about is does this product contain, uh, contain nuts, right? Because that's what I care about right now. So just to test that it does or doesn't. So, and um, in fact, uh, there's, there's a long time SBOM proponent who uses the metaphor of this product may contain struts. <laughs> that's a great joke. Um, so uh, now, Talking about some of the best practices here, um, it was great talking about VEX, but 
it's only one component of the SBOM strategy, right? So with or without CISA's help, can you explain some best practices and how federal agencies and companies can start developing SBOMs if they haven't already? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it, we, there is no reason why organizations can't start doing this today. And so, right, a lot of it just depends on what your software strategy is. If you're a software development shop inside a federal agency, then start thinking about what your development tools are and make sure that you have a roadmap to integrate SBOM generation. And again, a lot of this stuff is going to be straightforward if we have modern tools. Uh, if we're sort of using more legacy style things, then we need to be a little more clear about what we're looking for. There are commercial tools and there are open source tools today that are great for SBOM uh, generation. If you're buying software, uh, and this includes whether you're public sector or private sector, we want to start thinking about saying, hey, let's, let's ask for SBOMs. And for me, I, I think a very helpful way of talking about this from an acquisition perspective is, what do you mean you don't know what's in the product that I'm about to buy, right? It's a very strange assertion. Um, very few of us would, again, go and buy uh, some canned food that didn't have the label on it. Uh, and so why would we expect that a software producer didn't have that internally? If they have it internally, well then, hey, can you share it with me? Let's talk about what that process looks like in making, making programs. And then the last stage, uh, and this is uh, ongoing work. I don't think this is, this is the least mature part of the SPOM ecosystem, but there are tools today, is to start saying, hey, how do I consume this data? Uh, and of course, the, you know, one of the stories and the use cases that we're most interested in at CISA is the vulnerability management side, but there are a lot of other cases as well. Um, so this is some way that I can sort of look, for example, at my uh, software in an embedded space to say, how many of the components are uh, end of life or end of support? Because that will help me understand what my total cost of ownership is in something uh, like, say, a telecommunication infrastructure piece. Because now, and say, oh well, if that if that com- if one of the components is no longer supported, well, who's going to bear that support cost? So just sort of thinking about the practicality of software ownership, the more we know about that software, the better and and more efficient we're going to be. Fantastic. So we talked through some of the best practices, and I know it's different from organization to organization, but can you provide some examples of what SBOM development looks like for internal stakeholders and for software vendors? Mm -hmm. Uh, So... The uh, creating S-bombs, again, from a modern shop shouldn't be that complicated. Uh, and and we, we've, we're starting to see this in lots of tools. Uh, there's, and, and it's not just the cloud native space, although there are some great tools out there um, and, and companies that are giving away part of their tools as well to sort of uh, a classic open source model. Um, and we're starting to see it integrated into uh, things like uh, some of the, the embedded space. So uh, there's a real time, there's an open source real time operating system called Zephyr that publishes an SBOM. Uh, so we, we we are seeing this. Um, there are two widely used data formats: uh, the OWASP Cyclone DX data format, or, and um, then the Linux Foundation has something called SPDX. Um, both of these are great data formats, uh, and and we've spent a lot of time making sure that they are cross compatible, at least at the basics. They each include uh, they each introduce some features that don't directly translate, but we want to make sure that there's translation across them. 
So stepping away from, you know, going in the weeds, I want to talk a little bit about RSA. Just a quick fun question or two. What has been most exciting to you so far here at the conference? And what are you looking forward to seeing uh, throughout the rest of, you know, our time here uh, in San Francisco? Well, I, I, I'm sort of known as the guy who doesn't shut up about SBOM. Uh, and so one of the things that's been pretty impressive for me, and, and uh, we're only here on day two, uh, is that two years ago, uh, software built materials was seen as a pretty new novel idea, and I was having to explain what the heck it was to a lot of people. Uh, whereas uh, today, um, really seen discussion about it, uh, and people understand it, and they want to know more about it. Um, we don't need to explain what the heck an SBOM is. Now, there are lots of questions like the ones you've asked, which is, how do I implement it? What am I looking for? What do I ask for? Uh, and, and where are the tools that make this cheap and easy? So we're... And, and, um, that, for me, is pretty remarkable, that in the two years since 2020 that we were last here, um, we've really gone from this being a novel idea to uh, people almost have a certain amount of impatience and we're starting to see it uh, being sales, uh, used in driving sales. I will say I am both apprehensive and, and slightly curious. I haven't been down to the expo floor yet, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be sort of curious. Is this now part of the uh, RSA marketing uh, mess and chaos, right? I think... Um, RSA is a great conference. I've been speaking here for, for many, many years. Um, but uh, right, part of it is the marketing side of it. And a lot of us roll our eyes at it because the, the marketing side of a lot of security tends to be a little sketchy. Um, and so one of the things that I'm sort of curious about is, is this project that I've devoted so much time and that has been such a priority for CISA uh, going to be something that is folded into uh, the, the, the marketing side of things? There are benefits, but there's also plenty to be worried about if people just see it as a hype engine rather than something that meaningfully helps security. Yeah, I feel like the expo floor is a great way to actually see what's out there. It's easy to get, you know, our heads buried in what we're directly working on. But it sounds like it's, you know, meaningfully catching on and, you know, it, it's growing as something that's really essential to having a good security posture. So thank you again for taking the time here at the conference to share a little bit about what you're working on and the importance of SBOMs in the security space. Uh, thanks so much for having me and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 